Chapter Twelve of God Goes to Murderers Row by Reverend M. Raymond O.C.S.O. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Into the Hands of God. Father Donnelly's plane was hardly off the ground when Tom was writing to Sister Mary Laurentia. Just had a most delightful visitor, Father Donnelly, and I have his promise that he will write to you and tell you all. So now I feel very, very much better. Sister, I am really sorry about the stay, because I don't think any good can come from it. Everything was prepared. Now I must go through all that again. Oh, well, I will not complain. I am thankful for everything. I can smile and thank God for suffering as well as joy. It is only a matter of time, anyhow. Just a month. That will give me four weeks in which to pile up more merit for myself and for those I love. Sister, I know that despite what you say, you are still just a little bit worried. I confess now that you had reason to be, but it was only through ignorance on my part. That is why I have wanted to see Father Donnelly so badly. He understands the case thoroughly and can advise me in two minutes. Now everything is put right and I am much wiser than I was this morning. And I love God and you and Father Donnelly more than ever. Ah, sister, there will never be another just like him. He leaves for foreign service soon. Just remember, sister, I only slipped. I did not fall. He had just put his signature to this letter when the giant warden of the prison came along the walk. I've got good news for you, Tom, he said cheerfully. We'll be heading for your hometown early next Monday morning. I thought I'd be heading for my permanent home, heaven, tonight. I wish they had stuck to their schedule. Cheer up, Tom. You may get to see your mother. Before we take that trip, I must see you in private, Mr. Buchanan. I have something very important to tell you. The warden was struck by the prisoner's serious tone and earnest gaze. Want to come over to the office now? he asked kindly. No, let's make it Saturday or Sunday. You'd better have Captain Rankin there, too. Sounds important. It is. Very. All right, Tom. I'll see the captain and fix the time. Just thought you'd like to know about the trip to Lexington. Penny looked down the walk to be sure they were alone. Then in what was little more than a whisper said, It'll be useless to take me to Lexington, Mr. Buchanan. I'll have nothing to say. When Tom saw surprise mount in those large eyes behind the heavy glasses, he added, I've said all I'm ever going to say on this case in public, but I have a lot to say to you in private. That's why it'll be useless to take me to Lexington. If they put me on the stand, it'll do them no good. Oh, well, said the warden heartily. We'll have a nice ride together anyhow. You won't object to that, I hope. I'll let you know later about the time for that meeting you desire. Now that he had made the first move in the plan, Father George had outlined, Tom felt better. He turned to his table with zest and wrote many telegrams telling people he would not die that night. Very few human beings would understand why there were tears in the pale blue eyes of the prisoner, or why his wide upper lip was quivering as he hurried those telegrams off. But the letter he sent that day to Sister Robert Ann gives us insight. Do you think you can put up with me for another month? I have told Sister Mary Laurentia all about Father Donnelly being here, so I'll tell you all about the beautiful letters I received from Waterflow, New Mexico. Four of them wrote with your good sister Ann Rita, and all the sisters are making the midnight watch for me tonight. Oh, sister, I feel so wretched about it. 
They will all be so disappointed. I hate to write and tell them. So the best I can do is get on my knees and watch with them, isn't it? Their prayers will not be wasted, I know. Dear old mother did not get to come, as you know by now. Perhaps I may get to see you all next week when they bring us back to Lexington. Well, it is nearing midnight, so I'll say good night. Hard as I try, sister, I still feel a tinge of regret that I am not now nearing my eternal home. Continue to pray for me, sister, and be assured of my own prayers. I doubled my efforts the last two weeks, and I'll try to keep it up. That tinge of regret was still with him in the morning, but this is what it produced. January twenty second, 1943 Dear Mother St. Clair and my sisters Magdalens, it seems almost impossible for me to get on my way, but here's hoping that I have better luck next time. Surely, mother and sisters, you have been already, at some time in your lives, to go some place that have it turn into disappointment. You know how it hurts in just a small disappointment. Imagine what it must be then when the place in question has not been described in the beautiful words of St. Paul. I hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor hath it entered into the heart of men, to conceive what things God has prepared for those who love Him. Not many men have had the opportunity to just sit down in a chair, reach out, and touch the stars, dear mother and sisters. Of course some have, and they are the miracles of God's mercy. Whatever my past has been, God has said, Though your sins be as scarlet, I shall make them white as snow. Charity covers a multitude of sins, and charity means love of God and the God of love. Now I know with that love in my heart, I have the essence of sanctity. A sneering question was once asked, Can any good come out of Nazareth? And perhaps some, or many, will ask the same question about the room next to eternity here at Eddyville. The answer proportionately is the same. O oh, mother and sisters, I know only too well how unworthy I am. I have no earthly wealth of good deeds as merit, I have only my sins and my love to offer. But dear old St. Jerome said he didn't have anything but his sins. Yet Jesus said, Jerome, give me thy sins. My plight is like the story of the raindrop that fell a liquid jewel from the heavens. It fell in the gutter and mingled with the mud and lost its radiant sparkle. But then a sunbeam sought it out, kissed it, and carried it into the heavens, where in the cold brightness of the sky it became a pure white snowflake. God's love has been that sunbeam to me, mother and sisters, and if you allow me to change and modernize the figure, I'll say I know I'm coming in on the beam, so that, my saintly mother and sisters, is why I feel quite disappointed. However, I am not discouraged. My date is set again for February 26th. Perhaps I can perform a few little acts of kindness or do something pleasing to God these next few weeks. I hope the telegram reached you on time, Mother. Oh, there are many thousands whom I could not let know on time, and who will think I am gone. But I have spent quite some time asking our good God to accept their prayers and the masses that are being said for me, and apply them to my earthly store that I may be more worthy. The telegram of the 21st had caused both excitement and disappointment within the quiet Detroit cloister, and the long letter of the 22nd had not as yet been read to the assembled community, when Tom was calling to Porter B. Lady, deputy warden of Eddysville's Great Stone House. It was Saturday the 23rd. "'Did Mr. Buchanan say anything about seeing me today?' asked the prisoner. 
Not to me, Tom. Why? I've got something important to tell him. He said he'd fix the time. I'd wish he'd do it today. I'm on my way to his office. I'll remind him. Five minutes later, the deputy was back, unlocking the door. The warden's ready, Tom. Let's go. For the next hour and a half, three men listened to an earnest, humbled prisoner, whose honesty was evident in everything, from the light in his eyes and the insistence in his voice, to the gestures of his large hands. The warden asked a few questions, and got replies that were unhesitating and direct. Finally, he said, "'Okay, Tom, so I am not to publish any of this until after you are dead?' "'That's right. When I'm in the chair, you'll ask the usual question about having anything to say.' I don't want to say much then. I want to pray. So I'm telling you now. When you ask me that question on the final night, I'll simply say, publish what I told you. Okay, lad, but stay where you are until I get this whole thing in writing. You men will act as witnesses. Lady Rankin nodded. Two days later, Penny was in Lexington. Three days later, he was on the witness stand which had just been vacated by Bob Anderson, after the latter had said, Tom Penny has told so many lies in this case, no one knows what to believe from him. The tall, scar-faced prisoner looked neater and much more gentle than when he had taken that same stand fourteen months earlier. But despite the pronounced change in the aura he carried about him, despite the marked gentleness and kindliness in his whole mien, it was evident to all that Tom Penny was both nervous and very determined. Cahill first questioned him. Tom readily admitted he had made conflicting statements, but when asked which statement was true, he electrified the court by refusing to answer. Judge Adams' head turned, and his eyebrows lifted in surprise. Park, the prosecuting attorney, allowed himself the shadow of a smile as he saw Frank Cahill frown and give a grimace of impatience and chagrin. Before the attorney could frame his next question, Tom, very quietly but very convincingly, said, all I've got to say in connection with this case has been said. I made that clear before I left Eddyville. But tell us, did you disclose the truth in that deposition you made before you left Eddyville? Tom shifted slightly in the witness box, but very quietly replied, I've got nothing to say. Cahill paused, then turned to the judge and requested a ten-minute recess. The request was granted, but the interval availed him nothing. Though Cahill peppered him with questions, the prisoner's only reply was the quiet, I've got nothing to say. In exasperation and frustration, the attorney finally appealed to the judge. Judge Adams turned to the witness. It is your duty to answer these questions, unless you stand on your constitutional rights. Tom did not know just what his constitutional rights were. He remembered Father George had said something about them, but what it was he could not recall. He did not know the judge was referring to the right he had to keep silence when by speech he would be incriminating himself. He simply looked at his honor and said, I simply refuse to answer. Cahill gave up in despair. Park took over for the state, but got only, I won't say, as replied to the many questions he fired at the man in the witness box. Tom gave one affirmative answer. It was to the question of the court, do you refuse to testify in detail concerning the Miley case? I do, snapped Tom, and everyone in the courtroom knew he meant it. The hearing lasted over a week.
for Judge Adams, out of wise caution, was admitting much testimony he would ordinarily spurn. Penny was called to the stand three times, and requested to be heard once. Yet, despite his four appearances, no one learned which statement, the one in the first trial in Lexington, or the deposition made recently at Eddyville, was true. But Tom had a deeper concern than the hearing. As soon as he had arrived in Lexington, he dashed off a note to his mother, telling her to see Judge Adams and get an order to visit him in jail when the hearing was over. On January 27th, after the first session in court, Tom found a reply to his note awaiting him. He sat down immediately and wrote to his mother. The lawyer said Mr. Adams will let him know when you can see me. I am pretty sure I will get to see you before I have to go back, for I think the warden will grant me that privilege, even if the judge should refuse it. Please do not let anything trouble you about my conflicting statements. I know exactly what I have done, and I am not worried. Did you call the sisters? I should have written to them, but there isn't much one can say just now, so I will wait until this thing is over. I would like to see Father Brian, too, but I am afraid of the publicity it might involve. I might write the sisters a note tonight at that. Take care of yourself, and try, please, Mother, not to worry. He saw her Monday afternoon, February 1st. Sisters Mary Laurentia and Robert Ann were in the visitor's room, with Tom, when his mother arrived. In her hands was a huge pie which she had baked that morning. Sister Mary Laurentia took it from her with a smile, and nodded towards the tall, sparkling-eyed man, who was literally a tremble. Sister Robert Ann turned away quickly, and hunted for her handkerchief to wipe the tears which welled up, as she saw an embrace in which was exemplified a love that is so like the love of God for his creature man. The sisters very gracefully withdrew. It made an easy farewell for both parties. The nun had been with the prisoner over an hour, and were delighted with his looks, his spirit. Tom had explained his contradictory statements to them, had assured them as partly ignorance and partly anxiety to do all the good he could before he died, that had prompted the deposition. He laughed as he said, But here is proof that God still draws good from evil. If I hadn't been so stupid, I'd never have seen you again. You prophesied you would, Tom, the day we visited you at Eddyville. Remember? Call it a hunch, Sister Robert Ann, for I'm not a prophet, nor a prophet's son. Tom, said the older Sister Mary Laurentia in her own direct way, are you afraid to die? The head went back, the blue eyes opened wide, and their sparkle emphasized the truth of his words as he said, Afraid? Why, Sister, if that chair there and he pointed to the one he should have been sitting on, or the electric chair, gladly would I sit in it this moment, and it makes me very happy to realize I am the same age as our Lord was when he died, just another instance of his goodness to me. As you say, I am spoiled. I only hope he takes my life as an offering. For whom, Tom? For Bob, as much as for anyone. The parting with his mother was not so easy. The mother might never have loosed her arms from the embrace, had not Tom assured her he felt positive he was going directly into the hands of God. Early the next morning, Penny and Baxter were on the road to Eddyville. Anderson remained behind for the decision of the court. That night, Tom wrote to his mother, Arrived in Eddyville, okay, at 2.45 p.m. Left Lexington at 7.07 a.m. Had another beautiful day for traveling and enjoyed a splendid ride. Just another proof of God's goodness, darling. 
Tommy came yesterday just after you left and stayed about an hour. I'm so glad I got to see everyone. Tommy brought me a carton of camels, and the warden let me bring them with me. I ate the candy on the way down and enjoyed your pie last night. It was delicious, Mother. The long drive up and back, the tense, nervous days on the witness stand, and the emotional drainings caused by his meeting with, and final partings from those whom he loved so deeply, left Tom almost exhausted. But one night's sleep and the urgency of time brought him to his table the next day and set him writing energetically. He had but three weeks to live. He must reassure his friends and explain as much of the baffling situation as he could. Father Brian was the first to whom he turned. His explanation was not too clear, but the young passionist was happy to read. Father Lives will be here next Wednesday. I can hardly wait. He was not to blame for my errors, Father. I did not make the thing clear to him. That is why I wanted Father Donnelly. He already knew everything. To Father Eugene he wrote an explanation, which ended with a promise. Be assured, Father, that Father Lives will know about everything. I stumbled, but I did not fall. And I think you know, Father, that I am sincere when I say I had no evil intentions, and that it was all my fault for not making it clear to my confessor. I love God too much to offend him intentionally, Father, and am as sorry as can be for what happened, and tell him so many, many times a day. I am also very sorry for all the publicity and the disturbance it caused you and others. I know you will forgive me and continue to pray for me. Write any time, and if it so happens that you can be here the 26th, remember, I want you. On February 4th, he wrote a full explanation to Father Donnelly at Turner Field, which ran in part, Dear Father, came back from Lexington Tuesday, but thought I would wait until they had decided on Bob's case before I wrote you. Judge Adams denied him a new trial yesterday. I don't know what they will do now, Father, but whatever it is, you can be sure. I'm through with it. Please, Father, do not blame anyone but me. I did not explain the case thoroughly to Father Libs. I took it for granted that he knew more about it than he did. Father Libs will be here Wednesday. I'll let you know about it all then. I was permitted to see Mother, my sisters, and brothers. The good nuns came Monday afternoon for about an hour. I am so thankful that I saw them, Father. They were so disturbed about the conflicting statements, as was only natural. I won't feel right until I see Father Libs and make everything right with him. I know you were hurt to think that I would do a deliberate deed so contrary to all your teachings. I have suffered from it, too, Father, but I want to suffer for it here. I won't complain. Nothing like it will ever happen again. You may be sure. Tom was tired and tempted to put his pen aside, but his eyes fell on an envelope with an Owensboro postmark. He knew the handwriting and smiled. Sister Francesca's, the little Ursuline whom Father Brian had asked to write to Tom. He must write to her no matter how tired and tempted. She had replied so promptly and with such evident trust in the man, the whole world was calling liar, that he warmed at the very thought of her. From the very beginning he had found it easy to write to this nun, who was so direct, so optimistic, so full of fun. Scanning her latest, Tom knew he must give her something worthwhile. He drew a bit of prison stationery to him, and wrote, Dear Sister Mary Francesca, Don't know how many bars you were out, but you came in on the downbeat. I arrived yesterday afternoon and received your letter this morning. I want to tell you, dear sister, that more than you will ever know, 
I do appreciate your wonderful faith in me. The newspapers published my conflicting statements, and thus disturbed you, all my friends, and even myself. I am sure, sister, that you are entitled to know that my confessor has been fully informed of the truth, and now assures me all is well. Let me add that I stumbled, but I did not fall. My soul is still intact. God is pleased, I am happy, and the devil is furious. Which makes everything perfect. He is not a nice playmate, the devil, I mean, and, as you say, he has many accomplices, who appear in many forms and fashions. Oh, by the way, I had many visitors last Monday afternoon and evening, after the sessions in court were over. Did your ears burn? Sisters Robert Ann and Mary Laurentia came to the jail for about an hour and a half, then my mother, sisters, brothers, two nephews, and others. Sister Robert Ann knows you. Oh, why can't everyone be like you sisters? Then everyone would love everyone else. There wouldn't be all this war. People would not have to, or would not want to, lie, cheat, steal, rob, or kill. Until next time I'll be asking Our Lady to assist you in all you do. So you see, you cannot fail, for she has never failed me. Continue to remember me, your devoted friend in Our Lord and Our Lady. Late Friday night, the prison grapevine was at work, spreading the news that Bob Anderson was back from Lexington, after having been denied a new trial. Penny was still up on the walk, so he did not see Bob, but the reports that reached him set his hand stroking the long scar on his cheek, a gesture that always accompanies strong emotion or deep thought. It was said that Anderson was bitterly cursing Penny, priests, and the whole Catholic code. Tom sought outlet for those thoughts and feelings by writing Sister Robert Ann. Bob came back tonight. I am still separated from him. Perhaps it is best that way. I am doing fine up here. No one to bother me. Just me and Jesus. And you may be sure I pause every so often to tell him how sorry I am for my error. Oh, sister, ask him to punish me here. If I had listened to you, sister, this thing would never have happened but it has taught me that his way is the only way, that there is no such thing as half right and half wrong. It is all for God, or nothing. Sister, you made me want to crawl into a hole Monday, and I deserved it, so don't feel bad about it. I am praying so hard that Bob will not be embittered. I do not care what he thinks of me. In fact, I am glad to bear his wrath, if in the end it will save his soul. Hurry and write to me. I will stop now and say my beads. Oh, yes, sister, I will take them with me. You will see that mother gets a rosary when she is ready, won't you? I just know she will some day. Early next morning, Tom heard his name called by one of the inmates of the next cell. He knew Don and Alex Doggerty, two brothers, were there in permanent lockup. He liked these burly lads, and when he heard that they were under instructions ever since Father Brian's mission, he felt he was near friends. He answered their hail as cheerfully as he could. Don cried, I just got a look at today's paper. The judge puts the blame exactly where it belongs. Where is that, Don? said Tom with quickening interest. Right on Anderson's shoulders. How come? He says Anderson could have and should have gone on the stand in the original trial and flatly contradicted your testimony. He didn't. So the judge says his action now is utterly unconvincing. And of course he's right. So don't let Anderson's growls get you down, Tom. You did all you could for the guy. 
Thanks, Don, not only for the news, but for the encouragement. It proved more encouraging than Tom realized. It put him in the mood to write one of his most cheerful letters since January 21st. He addressed it to Mother St. Clair and her Magdalens, telling them something of his most recent experiences. While I was in jail last week in Lexington, there were locked up with me two Chinese, five Mexicans, one Greek, one Canadian, and two American boys. They could not understand my cheerfulness or good humor, or how I could sleep. They had prepared a cell for me apart, and these men had orders not to talk to me or give me anything such as knives or razor blades, etc. That night they brought a dope attic in and locked him in with me. When preparing for bed, I removed some articles from my pockets and laid them out. Pretty soon, he said, What do you have in that little purse? It was one Sister Mary Holy Name sent me for Christmas. I handed him the purse. He opened it, took out the beads, and stared at them. Soon two big tears rolled down his cheeks. I didn't say anything to him just then, but was conscious of the fact that it was the first time in my life that I was happy at the sight of tears. Later we had quite a talk, and between his grunts and groans, I learned that it was nearly six years since he had been to church or confession. The next morning they took him to the U.S. Public Health Service. As he was leaving, I said to him, Frank, what are you going to do when you get out there? He said, Tom, the first thing I do will be to call Father and go to confession. To that he added, Then a very young boy who cursed something terrible was put in with me. Poor kid cannot even read or write. Somehow I gained his confidence, and, my dear mother and sisters, the last three days I was there, I never heard him utter one bad word. On the last day, after court was over, I was permitted to see many of my loved ones. My dear old mother, when I held her in my arms and kissed her goodbye, perhaps for the last time, asked me, if you will be able to see me from up there. I said, Mother, dear, my eyes will never leave you until you join me in heaven. I left her heartbroken, but happy. Mother, I have prattled on here with my personal pronoun until I have no room for personal messages, but tell my echo I really got acquainted with J. Buchanan on the trip and learned a secret. He fell in love with a girl once, and she turned none on him. I said, My, but she must have been intelligent. How so? said he. I replied, Oh, I was just judging from the preference she made. He is really a swell fellow, this giant J.B. The days were flying now, and, despite the fact that Tom spent most of his day and much of his night at his table writing, he could not seem to keep abreast of his mail. But God's hand is evident here, perhaps more than anywhere else. For this correspondence with his mother, these nuns and priests kept the doomed man's mind, focused on the great reality beyond the last horizon, and on him, whom someone had called the obvious invisible. It seems as if a thing that Tom had asked Sister Robert Ann to pray for in his letter of February 5th was being granted. For on the 10th of the month he wrote, Well, sister, the thing I tried so hard to prevent has happened. Bob is very bitter toward Father Libs and sent word for him not to come down to see him today. I am sorry. It really hurts. It hurt Father, too. Perhaps you can help me with the letter, sister, but don't mention me or let on that you know anything. I gave Father leave to reveal anything I have ever told him, so that he could talk to Bob plainly. It is my personal opinion that Bob will want to see him soon, and very soon. I hope and hope and hope. 
but anderson's bitterness was not the only source of anguish for the man in the little cement hole in the wall up on the walk letters from lexington told him his mother was not well on lincoln's birthday he wrote oh if god would only give me your pains and aches how happy i would be tom gave father brian an insight into his aching heart in a letter dated february sixteenth i am certainly happy that you will be able to visit your good parents father some of us never appreciate them until we lose them or come to the full knowledge of just how seriously we can injure them on february twenty first tom was writing sister mary laurentia telling her how anderson's lawyers had been down to eddyville again and had had him summoned in the warden's office where they told him bob was to have a hearing in louisville wednesday before judge miller of the federal court but i had nothing to say to them sister so i will not be called again i thank god for sparing me that ordeal i don't think satan will bother me again sister but i'll be on my guard in closing he wrote i must get a letter out to father donnelly today yes sister there is no name for what he has been to me tom immediately carried out his intentions he closed his letter to the priest with i understand that bob has not given up hope yet but for me it is still february twenty sixth i do hope that you can get up but if you can't well you're in the army now but tom's hopes were high father george had thought nothing of risking bitter criticism in lexington when he first entered the case thought nothing of driving the hundred miles between covington and fayette county jail two or three times a week to instruct the prisoner thought nothing of making the wearying six hundred mile round trip between eddyville and his parish house week after week in order to sustain the newly baptized he had thought nothing of risking his life in flying from georgia with a very young cadet in order to be with tom the day he was scheduled to die the prisoner had reason to believe his faithful friend would be with him when he walked those last few steps from his cell to the room with only a single chair with eagerness then he tore open the envelope from turner field on tuesday morning february twenty third he unfolded the letter with high expectations but the very first sentence made him sit down and drew a groan of disappointment from him dear tom after all these months i am going to have to disappoint you i had planned on coming down to eddyville but conditions here will not permit my absence i am sure you will understand however tom in my disappointment i have the consolation of knowing that you are one who i am sure is going to enjoy the bliss of heaven what happiness is awaiting you tom don't forget me when you come face to face with our saviour remember we all need help and your influence will be great you can obtain much for me and don't forget those who have been so kind and helpful you can rest assured they will not forget you i will write to bob i wrote him last week but have received no answer if it were possible for me to talk to him i know he would do what is right but at present it seems impossible i feel sure god will hear our prayers sometime tom i will see your mother and explain to her what i know you would like her to know namely that you are in the friendship of god and certainly one of his choice souls may she have the grace to enjoy what you have enjoyed this past year before god calls her i am going to say good-bye tom your example has meant much to me i will never forget you and even though i shall pray for you always i know you will never need my prayers you have earned heaven yourself i have only supplied the opportunity i shall be with you in spirit thursday night god love you always tom until we meet in heaven father 
it was the last sacrifice god was asking of tom penny and perhaps the greatest and most beneficial for the last time on this earth the prisoner had seen his mother his sisters and brothers the two nazareth nuns and now he knew he had seen for the last time the man he had so often confessed he all but adored he was as naked now as christ had been on calvary for a few moments he thought he was more naked and alone for christ had looked down from the cross on his mother on john magdalene and the holy women but then tom caught himself no he was not alone for god seemed almost as tangible as his table as intimate as his heartbeat more real than any reality on earth he placed the letter flat on his table struck it with his large right hand and said if that's what you want lord i want it too bless father george for all he has been to me with that act of resignation a piece of soul came to tom penny that was not to leave him while he lived he had taken all the setbacks as so much purgatory and now he suddenly saw how happy those suffering souls can be his thoughts were frequently in lexington but when he read how sisters mary laurentia and robert ann visited his mother weekly and allowed her to come to the hospital as often as she liked when he read how tommy the girl he now knew he should have married was talking with his mother every day either face to face or over the phone when he read how this same tommy was consulting lawyers writing judges visiting price and planning a call on the governor when he read how letters were arriving at three eight three south spring street from priests and nuns and kind-hearted lay folk tom knew that god and his blessed mother were answering his prayers in a measure he never dared ask one week before the date of execution he wrote mother dear i could ask mr davis to bring you down but i can't bear the thought of seeing anyone who really cares about me here mother i want you to know i willingly accept whatever god in his infinite wisdom has ordained for me it is not easy to hold oneself in perfect resignation but i have often wondered lately if it doesn't require more grit and courage to want to live than it does to want to die god has given me grace to carry on so far mother and i know he will continue so long as i love him so whatever happens i will not murmur against him i only ask that his holy will be done the only sad moments i have mother are those in which i think of the ones who really love me and will hate to see me go if i could only be sure that they would not worry or grieve i would say that my last moment on this earth would be my happiest in this last week of life tom learned the limitations of human language when he tried to show his heart to the one from whose veins that heart had drawn its blood but he was able to open the final week with how did you like the little spread i told tommy to surprise you with mother i was going to have two made for you but changed my mind when i realized you could hide one easier you see i know my mother pretty well tommy wants to have my picture made and surprise you with it but i can't get one made in here i'm sorry for your sake and for hers mother i need not tell you that that girl's interest is much more than mere sympathy and i think it will lighten her heart somewhat if some day you tell her that your tom loved her and loved her for years i guess this will be the last letter you can answer dear and you must have that answer in the mail tuesday night or i won't get it but do not worry yourself about it mother for i know all the things you would like to say so never worry about having left anything unsaid 
the very next day he sent her a mother's day card which had been sent him by regine unger an invalid of sock centre who had been corresponding with tom since the appearance of the article in the register concerning the biblical contest within the folds of the card mrs penny found a dollar bill a short note from regine to tom telling him to send the card and the bill to his mother as a gift finally there was a clipping with monsignor bugaud's inspiring message for those who mourn a message which insists on the very thing mrs penny had asked tom when she held him in her arms for the last time the great and sad mistake of many people wrote the monsignor is to imagine that those whom death has taken leave us they don't they remain where are they in darkness oh no it is we who are in the dark we do not see them but they see us their eyes radiant with glory are fixed on ours filled with tears on wednesday morning tom penned the last letter his mother had received while he yet lived we'll write now and again tomorrow night i had a letter from the sisters today and will write them some time tonight for i want to have my mind as clear as possible tomorrow night i'll tell you what i'm going to do mother it is too painful to write to all my brothers and sisters so i'm going to write one letter to you and you can either read it to them or let them read it themselves i am sure all will be together then after detailing a few messages he wished to the past on he concluded bye for now darling just keep your chin up and remember dear i am going to my home in heaven to await your coming he signed it just as his second last day on earth ended End of chapter 12